Okay, we're now live. Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and uh, welcome to our Facebook. It's Thursday, August 3rd. Hope everybody's doing okay. Hey, the weather is looking a little bit better. I think it was in the high 70s or early 80s. Humidity was reasonable, so it's kind of... Uh, summer ain't over, though it is August, but at least it's a little bit cooler, at least in, in this part of the country. I know Places like Phoenix had 31 straight days above 110, and that broke for a couple days, and now they can have about another 15 like that as well. And I've spoken or read about, you know, places like Europe and Italy and all sorts of places, how things are really difficult. But anyway, hope everybody's doing well. The, um, and hi, John Biacchino from Body CT. Today I'm going to speak a little bit about syndromes that relate to vessels, okay? So maybe it's not syndrome is the wrong word, but we have, we have requests, and I know you have requests for the same thing, and I just wanted to touch a little bit on protocols. So one of the common things we get concerns for median arcuate ligament syndrome. The median arcuate ligament connects both sides of the diaphragm. Sometimes it extends a bit low and pushes on the celiac artery. Now, many patients, 30 to 50 percent sometimes, if you're in the excretory phase, can have compression of the celiac artery. It's of no clinical significance. In some patients, however, compression narrows the celiac and nearly occludes the celiac. You can tell not only seeing the compression, but you also get like a fish hook configuration that beyond the compression, the celiac dilates. We also commonly will see collaterals through the GDA to hepatic artery. That can be helpful as well. It's important to recognize these processes because it really, um, you don't want to overcall cameral median awkward ligament syndrome in an incidental finding, but sometimes it can be the cause of patients' abdominal pain and even go all the way to ischemia. So it's important to recognize. Now, how do you do a study where the question is median awkward ligament syndrome? If you do it in expiratory effort, more than half the patients will have compression because it pushes up. What you need to scan is in deep inspiration. If there's compression of the celiac by the median awkward ligament and you're in inspiration, then it's likely going to be significant. It's still not always is going to be significant. Thinner patients, older patients, it's not uncommon to see it. But to diagnose it, you need to be an inspiratory effort. So that's what you need to do. And you need to look at the sagittal views. You get used to this configuration on the axials with this compression because there's a little gap or what appears to be narrowing of the celiac. But in the sagittal views, you see the median arcuate ligament. Then you see that fish hook configuration with post-denotic dilatation. And as I mentioned, sometimes the celiac will be basically occluded, and then you'll see some collateral. So that's one thing. Second thing, let's go down a little bit, SMA syndrome. Now, SMA syndrome was something people would argue about. Um, it's one of those things where patients often have unexplained weight loss. It's seen more common in patients who have anorexia nervosa or patients uh, who have lost weight. It was originally described in patients who were put in whole body cast in the early 1900s. Now, with SMA syndrome, you're looking for the angle between the SMA 
and the aorta is decreased. Now, we see that sometimes, particularly in skinny patients. But to me, you need to see two things. If the angle is decreased, aorta, SMA, if the angle is decreased, you'll see compression of the left renal vein, so-called nutcracker syndrome, which can result in hematuria. Now, I will admit, just because you have compression of the left renal vein as it comes across behind the SMA does not mean you have SMA syndrome. The most important thing is compression of the duodenum. So you think about it, stomach, C-loop, third, fourth portion of duodenum. At the level of the third and fourth portion, the duodenum tracks behind the SMA. If the angle is narrowed and it's critical, the duodenum is compressed and you have either duodenal obstruction or even gastric obstruction. Often it's presenting as gastric outlet obstruction, but you realize the obstruction is the duodenum as it crosses the midline behind the SMA. So for me to call SMA syndrome, I'll sometimes say the SMA angle is decreased and maybe the renal vein is compressed. I'll say there's no duodenal dilatation. I don't worry. If the duodenum's dilated and you can see it just being tracked between the uh, SMA and aorta, then that's going to be the diagnosis SMA syndrome. You can, you know, it's a tough thing to manage. Again, we see it in patients with significant weight loss. Um, patients have gotten like anastomosis where you do a, a, a bypass, you know, from the stomach to jejunum perhaps. But uh, some patients do well right away, but then they have their symptoms come back. So it's a very, very difficult diagnosis. You, you know, a lot of the patients, particularly patients with anorexia nervosa, are challenging. So you need to be really careful making the diagnosis, or at least managing the patient. We make the diagnosis, someone else manages them. The third thing I'll mention is patients with lower extremity edema or pelvic congestion, where the question is, does the patient have May-Turner syndrome? You think about the aorta and IVC. Aorta IVC is to the right, and then you get down to the bifurcation. You have the iliac arteries and the iliac veins. Now, with, the problem is typically with with May-Turner syndrome, the left iliac artery compresses and narrows the left iliac vein, and you have lots of collaterals and you have pelvic congestion. Uh, that is the classic thing, obstruction and compression of the iliac vein by the artery, by the iliac artery. Best protocols, I like to do a dual phase, arterial and venous. Probably you can get by with a um, 72nd venous where the vein is opacified and the arteries opacified and you look for that compression and then the collaterals. Obviously the veins and arteries can touch. That's not the issue. It's when it's compressed and you'll see the venous narrowing. So that's another type of syndrome in terms of vessels. Now other things we will look at of course, you think about everything in the aorta. Does the patient have a right-sided arch or is it classic left-sided? Where are the vessels coming off the arch? One thing we think about is an average right subclavian, which tracks off the descending thoracic aorta, then goes from left to right behind the esophagus. Particularly if it dilates proximally, it can compress the esophagus and lead to dysphagia. Uh, again, there is just a straightforward chest CT with IV contrast, really give you a feel uh, the uh, ductus region, 
the aneurysm of Kummerall is typically what you describe when the aberrant right subclavian is dilated focally and causing compression. So those are some of the things we can think about. There are a lot of other vascular processes. We talk about, um, you know, uh, where patients have um, compression of the subclavian artery by um, an accessory rib, a cervical rib, right? Thoracic outlet syndrome is commonly known as. Those situations, we like to scan supine, arms by the side rather, patients are always supine, arms by side, arms overhead. When arms are by the side, often the subclavian artery will look good. It's when arms are above the head, the subclavian artery is compressed and narrowed. And that's where you can get all the symptoms of subclavian artery compression. Again, if you only scan the patient with arms by the side, you're gonna miss it. We like arms up, arms down. If you only had one, do arms up. Do that first, make sure it comes out well. Inject on the contralateral side so you don't have a lot of beam hardening artifact. Again, cervical ribs are one of the things that causes compression of subclavian artery, but there are other causes, including prior trauma. And you wanna look very carefully at the vessel. 3D mapping with volume rendering works really nicely in that regard. So those are four things we've covered. Uh, the protocols are on CTSS, and if they're not there, I'll upgrade the protocol section and put them in there. And hopefully that will help you. If you have any questions, there's a few articles on CTSS. We have individual cases which show the findings. But I think it's very important. All of you are going to do these patients in your practice. And the key is the right protocol, and then the key is interpretation. So with that, I thank everybody for their attention, and have a great day.